1: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE. Energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, we will be free riding. Free riding, Ron. Yep, sounds good, and I love it. Yeah, once a month, we take a break from our normally topical-based shows around business topics and decide to free ride off of the news, current events, that kind of thing, or basically anything that comes into our minds that we want to talk about. And um, I'm actually going to start off with one of those things. It's not, not necessarily a current event, just popped into, into my mind, Ron, and that is just to shout out. Uh happy birthday to my dad in heaven. Uh, as you know, my dad passed away at the end of last year, and today would have been his 73rd birthday. So mm. want to sh- sh- shout out to him. Uh, and I, in doing so, I want to uh, tell a story. I've, I tell the story a lot uh, when I speak, but I don't think I've told it on the air yet, Ron. And that is that my dad, uh, as you know, w- w- actually taught Latin. right? kind of part-time it wasn't like his career or anything but he did he did teach latin in high school and uh my dad was an interesting guy he he loved words he loved to read he loved uh the etymologies especially of words and he was very disappointed when i got to high school and i went to catholic high school and they did not offer latin so the closest i could take was french (laughs) but uh but um and and the the funny part was it, it was it, it did you see that movie ron my big fat greek wedding everybody yes. saw that movie it was a great movie right well yeah there's a running gag in that movie and where we're the guy and i forget the actor's name who uh it, every every time he, he'll say something like give me a word any word and i'll tell you how the origin is greek you know and then you know throughout the throughout the movie they try to throw different words at him and i think at one point they throw orange at him and he's got to try to you know, and, he, and he he always reverse engineers it so that in fact it does you know l- l- connect to something greek but it was sort of like that in my house growing up but with latin right mm. my dad would would talk about these different words and i'll always remember one that was particularly telling uh, and that is when we talked about the origin of the word mortgage which is a concatenation of two Latin words. The first one, everyone pretty much knows, mort, M-O-R-T, is, is death, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> like, moratorium. Mortality. Uh, yeah, mortality, right? So, all of those things, uh, the, the, the idea of death uh, it, it, in that word, M-O-R-T, the origin of that in Latin. But, but gage in, in Latin means pledge, right? So, a mortgage... Is a death pledge. <laughs> Well, and how true is that?: That's right. it's like, okay, it makes total sense now <laughs> right It's like crystal clear. I totally get it. so anyway that's that's the first one I wanted to, to throw out there is a, a shout out to my dad, and he's looking down on on me and probably pleased that I'm telling that story and, and letting and educating people is what the real meaning of the word mortgage is. That's true. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, 30 year uh, death
2: pledge. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I got something here on uh, Twitter. They brought back Jack Dorsey, I guess, one of the founders, right? Hoping he's going to okay. do uh, this miraculous Steve Jobs turnaround for Twitter. But what I find interesting is um, Twitter has 320 million monthly users, no more than it had the previous quarter. So its growth is kind of flatlined. Right, Uh, Facebook has 1.6 billion worldwide Mm -hmm. users, I guess. Twitter has about 70 million American users. um, And it's been that way for about a year. They've kind of flatlined. Its market cap is down um, to uh, around 10 billion, less than a third of where it was about a year ago. And what they're saying, or they're speculating, is is that um, you know they just uh, they're not they're not a, a mature player in the ad space like Google or, or Facebook. Um, the only thing they say positively about it is that it's one of the best ways to reach people who influence the public's conversations about brands. Mm, I, okay. start thinking about this. It seems to me, and then they talk about Yahoo and Yelp, right? And they're they're also struggling. LinkedIn is struggling. Um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, shares dropped 44% after they uh, posted pretty lackluster, uh, earnings, except they did beat analysts' expectations, but it's, it's projected that Twitter's not going to turn a profit until 2019. And it just got me thinking about, you know, remember that show we did with, uh, Greg Trico talking about the, the trends, Right. Oh yes, yeah. Social Mary Meeker's internet
1: trends. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and
2: and how these social media platforms have kind of, you know, segregated themselves. Right. We're starting to finally see some fallout. Uh, but when they said it's a Twitter is still the most effective way to speak to a brand, it's like I thought about that. It's like yeah. If you're in an air, if I'm at an airport, and I don't know United's, you know, late with my luggage for a half hour, like they were once at Denver, right? Half hour went right. by, forty minutes went by. What social media platform am I going to run to? It's not going to be Facebook. It's not going to be LinkedIn. Of course, I'm going to tweet about it, and I did. And mm. within like five or ten minutes, I got a tweet back apologizing, you know, from United about it. Um, so it does seem like these platforms have kind of segregated themselves out right there's and they're becoming for specific purposes
1: yeah no i think you're think you're right about that you know and i i don't know if it has to do with the character limitation although there's a rumor going around that Twitter's going to try to undo that yep and i i just i just wonder if if twitter does that does that does it then cease to be twitter
2: right right no, i think it, it would be say, yeah
1: yeah, I mean cuz that's that that's been kind of the point. And you know, the other place where Twitter I still think gets a lot of play outside the US is, you know, in, in areas where there's there uh, harms way, you know, where there the 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 Arab Spring. Sure. Right? Twitter Twitter played a huge role yeah. in that and I think even in in uh, the country of Georgia, right when the the, the Russians uh, threatened to come in or did come in, I I don't remember the particulars of that, but I do know that that Twitter was a a big huge way that people got a lot of information in and out of of that uh, that situation, right? Yep. Um, natural and even disasters. Natural disasters. So it's almost like Twitter's like the depressing. You know, where do you go to complain? Or if there's a natural disaster in your area. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, uh, are, whereas whereas Facebook is where you go to pay, po- post the happy stuff. Oh, look, so and so had a baby, right?
2: <laughs> of course, now you can unlike things on on Facebook, right? Haven't they yep. added a bunch of emoticons too?
1: Yes, that was in my stack of stuff. So yeah, that that we've added the ability to have six different emoticons. I believe it is. So there's there's not only like, but we can now we can now love. Which is mm-hmm. interesting. We can now wow it. We can uh, oh know it. Which is, I guess, kind of like the dislike. Which is what everybody really wanted. Everybody just wanted really a dislike. Dislike, yeah, 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 right. But uh, but and then there's a couple of others. There's you know uh, an anger one. You know, so your your basic emotions. Uh, you know but it was it was weird to relating this back to my my dad and it, but you you do see people post about you know someone's passing on Facebook and you're like ah, I don't know if I should like it you know like, yeah exactly what exactly what's the what does a like mean and so yeah <laughs> so at least they gave us the ability to to provide some clarity on that but uh, you know I don't know i I I'm I'll be frank, I'm I'm less and less involved with Twitter on a regular basis. The only time I really do heavy Twitter is when we're doing this show and I'm monitoring right. Ask T S O E. Right, right. No, I know. Yeah. I, I have a love
2: hate relationship with Twitter. I you know, it's in, in some respects it's it's America's bathroom wall.
1: <laughs> oh man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One um, way to put it. Well, I, I think that, and Facebook has clearly figured out a way to monetize stuff much, much more than sure. than Twitter has, right? Facebook has has done that. I mean, the 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 posts that you get, and I, I don't know about you, but I I I do get relevant ads in my content stream. Ron. I mean, it's it's once you get past the creepy factor, I'm kind of okay with it.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I, 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 I've seen more and more of that, too. And, and the other thing they did say about Twitter, just uh, they did say it's, it's always been adaptable to mobile devices, right? So it didn't have the same issue that like Facebook did, having to adapt to mobile. I mean, I have to admit, when I'm on the road, I, you, know, you, you want to do something, you go to Twitter first, right? Mm. It seems to be that way. Because it's just yeah. more real-time or instantaneous platform.
1: Yes, no, it definitely is 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 more real time, and and I think I guess when when I'm trying to find stuff out, Twitter might be a, a better place to go. Although you know it, it's it's weird though, our athletes I think are, are much much bigger into Twitter than Facebook. I mean, I, I certainly you know my son just loves loves sports. I mean, I like sports too, but he's he's the one who when he comes down on Saturday mornings or whatever, to flip put on espn and you know we'll tune into espn for a while and they're always talking about twitter so that's another place where i see twitter segregating itself from facebook you don't see athletes well you know so and so took to facebook the other day to, tell, <laughs> to
2: <laughs> i do see athletes a lot on uh, instagram too right they seem to to post yes. on there too
1: well, which, and who which owns of Instagram. course is now
2: owned by Facebook, right? Yeah,
1: there you go. <laughs> <laughs> right, and
2: and look at how Twitter is used for politics, and of course Facebook is too. But you know the tweets that like Trump puts out or anybody else it gets picked up quite a bit in the political realm.
1: Yep, that's a, that's like another good point. Is is that that I guess it's real time politics stuff is on Facebook. You know, people follow the debates on yep. Facebook. I mean, I'm sorry, on Twitter, more than they are are apt to do on on Facebook. Although, you know, my Twitter stream is, as you can imagine, is fairly political. Well, (laughs) 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 I got a lot of libertarian friends, so. As it should be. (laughs) Yeah, Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But anyway,
2: I just thought it was interesting that Twitter, because there was a lot of uh, you know hype around its IPO, remember, and and now they're they're not projecting a profit until 2019. So it yeah. it remains to be seen if this Jack Dorsey guy can you know work wonders and and be another Steve Jobs.
1: Yeah. If if at all, if they can ever get to profitability, uh, you know, I would I would say a projected profit in 2019 is that's that's an awful long time away. <laughs> Right. Don't you think? I mean it, it is. It is. And and then you
2: look at a company like Apple that's whose PE ratio, you know, its price earnings ratio is like, I don't know, ten or twelve times and Amazon is like thirty four times. And yet Apple's the most profitable country on the company on the planet practically, and the market still keeps saying, Oh, but it can't last. It can't last. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, you know, we'll 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 get there. We'll 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 figure it out. And I, 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 that I never understood from a business strategy standpoint either. You know, that being the strategy. Yeah, we'll figure out profit when we get there. Right. I don't don't really know about that. Don't really know about that. But, uh, well, as usual, all these free
2: riders are just great. Uh, but folks, we need to uh, we need to pay some bills here and remind you that you can contact Ed or myself at Ask tsoe at com. keep your emails coming and, uh, several of you have emailed us with comments and suggestions about the show we love that and uh, also follow the show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com and now we want to hear from our sponsor leading results
3: become our friend on Facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice America
0: you've experienced it marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years the search engine has completely altered the way customers buy your clients are now driving the process their way at leading results we know how to work with this we don't just jump in and start doing together we plan your marketing strategy Install a website that gets results and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us.
3: Have you ever read a book that changed your life?
1: Free riding away today, Ron, and uh, we just left off with talking a little bit about Twitter and want to an- announce sort of a a Twitter event, if you will, or, of our own, that uh, you and I will be hosting the Libertarian Party debate in San Antonio, Texas, as part of the Texas State Convention, uh, right here on Voice America.
2: Awesome. And, and they're going we- they're going to play that on the live channel, is that right? They're going to play that on the
1: live channel, voice, voiceamerica.com slash live, and we will be hosting a little bit before the debate, we'll do maybe a 15 minutes or so before the debate to get things set up, then we'll listen in on the debate, that's two hours, and this will be take place on April 8th, Friday, April 8th, from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock will be the actual debate, and then after 10 o'clock... We are arranging to have about a five minute sit down with the five candidates who will be participating in that debate. So we're pretty thrilled about that. And anyway, we've decided on a hash uh, tag for that, Ron. It's going to be hash LP debate cool hashtag LP debate so uh, we want to start start to see some tweets on on that if you got some questions for the candidates uh, I will we're not going to be asking the candidates questions during the base there will be moderators doing that but uh, Ron and I will have some time afterwards with the candidates to sit down and talk to them so pretty excited about that yeah Um, and there's
2: five candidates isn't there
1: there is, there is, and uh, I don't, I can't rattle them off the top of my head. I know Gary Johnson is one of them. I know uh, McAfee, John McAfee is another, and uh, so we're. Oh, and and uh, Austin Peterson. So those are the three off the top of my head I know are participating. Oh, and Mark Feldman. So I've got four out of five. I probably if I, That's I pretty I, good. Yeah, yeah, I could probably get the the next one. But uh, staying in line with 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 politics, Ron, I picked this up from our our friend Steve Landsberg, who we, we've got to get him on the show at some point. He would just be great. But he be. he his his latest post uh, puts forward an idea that basically the Republican Party is right now in a a, a real live prisoners' dilemma game. Yep. Right. And this is this is this is his he says because right now Cruz and Rubio think that they both have about an equal chance of defeating Donald Trump, who's the front runner. Right? Right. But and their chances significantly increase if the other one drops out. Yep. Yep. Right? But neither one of them will drop out. And what, what, what Landsberg proposed is what they should have done like halfway through the debate is one should have challenged the other to let's do it let's do a coin flip. <laughs> Whoever, whatever comes up, I'll I'll drop out right here, right now, and you can go on, and I will throw my support to you, and vice versa. and And at the end of the post, he says, "Yeah, and that has a zero percent chance, chance of actually happening." <laughs> but but he's absolutely right. That is that is a really good analysis of it. I think
2: it is. You know, and these guys. I mean, you know, the thing that I try and keep in mind with this political. Feel that is this is a zero-sum game, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are, this is all or nothing, and they're not going to give up until they, you know, until Cruz gets a chance to win Texas and Rubio gets a chance to win Florida, right? Mm-hmm. What Carson is doing in there, I have no idea, but yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think Rubio and, and, and Cruz are going to stay at least until they get a chance to run in their home state, and Kasich too, Question. by the
1: way. Right. And the question then becomes: Does that make it too late? Right? Does it's a great is it possible question. that because if they stay in until that point, then they basically then could assure Donald Trump of the nomination? So, yep, pretty then interesting.
2: That risk, and and I think Kasich is going for complete VP. I mean, I oh yes, yeah. he's up for VP. He knows he's not going to hit president. He's sixty three years old. He's he's, uh, he's going for a VP. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. But leave it to Landsberg to bring in the prisoner's dilemma. You know? <laughs> right? love it, love it. It's a great, great, uh, great analogy.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, what do you got, Ron?
2: All right, I got. Uh, well, this is a quick one. The the world in 2016. Okay. The Economist every year puts out uh, you know a thick magazine about you know projections coming up for the year ahead. Right, mm-hmm. this comes out in like November, December every year, and the one in two for 2016 talked about, uh, um, what could happen, you know, coming up. And it talked about shillable hours. It says a backlash is long overdue against fees charged by law firms. Um, it, you know, they remind us it doesn't have to be illegal to be scandalous. So they say, look for some type of scandal with these billable hours, people either lying or, you know, getting caught that way. And, and they're, 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 project- they're projecting a big backlash against billable hours in the legal profession. Mm.
1: Okay. Which I found
2: pretty interesting. And of course, they brought up the whole cottage industry of invoice auditors uh, that have sprung up in the legal profession. You know, these are people that are hired usually after the fact to go through a corporation's legal bills, look at everything you know, see if there's any double billing, if they had, you know, if they were overstaffing a, a matter or something, and usually they'll they'll win a write-down of 25 or 30 percent, and they'll usually take a percentage of that as their fee. And it's quite a co- a little cottage industry, and it just goes to show you how perverse the billable hour is in terms of its incentives.
1: Really? Wow. Yeah. So, that, 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 so that's what they do. They ju- They just comb through the bills to see if somebody 's getting messed up on it right
2: yep if if things are unreasonable, like you know you 're being charged two hours for a phone call or something, or there 's multiple people or double billing you 'd be surprised how double billing for research or meetings or whatever and and they that 's what they do and the other thing this little article projected you know accounting scandals, we all remember Enron and Tycho right the list goes the list is endless. Uh, with these account- accounting scandals, but I thought this was pretty interesting. They said, keep your eye on the tech industry, which mm-hmm. can be quite creative with financial statements because it, <laughs> says, it says one area to watch is app providers which pile their venture capital funding into ads that when clicked on automatically install their wares on mobile devices, thus inflating the number of users they can lay claim to. Mm. Interesting. And I thought that- I thought that was really interesting because, you know, we've all heard the revenue scandals, right? Pre-booking revenue or turning debt into revenue or sure. sheet items. And, you know, now that they're projecting the tech industry could play with the number of users and, you know, get venture capital funds that way. So lots of ways for the books to be cooked, as they say.
1: Mm hmm. Well, let me let me tie tie one back into the, your prediction for nineteen or I'm sorry, 2016 by going back to 1916 and ask you this question, Ron. How much money would you have to have if you could be transported back to 1916, where you would say, "Yep, I, I would I would be willing to take that trade." I mean, would you be willing to take even, you know? A, a a million dollars or in in today's dollars or 1916 dollars or even a billion dollars in 1916 dollars if you could trade places with your 2016 self Wow,
2: what a, what a fascinating question! Um,
1: it's not mine. It's Don Boudreau's question. I'm shamelessly stealing it from him.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I've asked similar questions about you know Bill Gates. Would you rather have Bill Gates' wealth today or or you know two hundred years ago? But uh, I, I wouldn't, Ed. I wouldn't. I mean, uh, you you what you're talking pre air conditioning. Yeah. You might be talking pre indoor plumbing. Um, <laughs> Antibiotics, medical advances. I mean, uh, no, no, thanks. I, uh, I think we have a much greater standard of living where we are, even at a, a relatively poor level of income.
1: Yeah, well, and that you know that which which of course then begs the question is is everybody living today better off than in 1916? Right, and I think the answer is pretty clear that yeah, that's it's 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 pretty darn close.
2: Yeah, right. if you look at if you look at mortality, if you look at uh, longevity of life and all of that, um yeah, mm-hmm. I <laughs> I mean 1916 is not the 17 or 18 hundreds, but it's
1: right. It's, but it's, it's still pretty, like as you said, it's it, you would you might I believe you might have air conditioning if you lived in a major city. Right? you might have air conditioning in in those cases but certainly if you went out to dinner restaurants would not have air conditioning if you if you wanted to if you had a a house in New York and a house in California if you wanted to travel one to the other it would take you first of all a couple of days to do that and yep. certainly even your plush luxury car wouldn't would have air conditioning?
2: Oh heck, no! You'd be hand cranking it. The, the tires would go flat on every other trip. It'd be,
1: <laughs> be kind of right. miserable, <laughs> right? Or if you took the train, which is more likely, you wouldn't drive it yourself. That wouldn't even have air conditioning.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, no, I, you know,
2: uh, love studying history, but man, I'm kind of glad I don't live back there.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So, so but you, that's could, a you could make phone question.
1: calls. You could make phone calls, though. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right right, and an enormous price, right, I mean oh, that was oh yeah,
1: yeah, but remember, brilliant. you got a billion dollars, you'd be fine, you can afford it
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, that's a good question, yeah. that's a good thought experiment
1: yeah, it is a great great thought experiment i i I, I kind of like that one, I like you know d d I've never heard it phrased that way with the with the just a one hundred year twist, you know, right. So anyway, well, you know what? Why don't we why don't we take our break here, Ron, instead of trying to squeeze one in beforehand? And what we'll okay. do is we'll you know pick up and, and have an extended session on the next one, because I think the, at least the one that I want to bring up in the next session segment might might uh, might cause us to have quite the conversation. So well we want to remind you that is you can get a hold of us at asktsoe at verisage.com and our thanks to uh, let me just see here just quick check here. We did get a tweet during the show here, and that was from um, Scanco Cody. Appreciate your he says don't forget about the Instagram for business. So thanks for participating in the show, Scanco Cody. We appreciate that. But right now, you we want you to hear from our sponsor, Azamba.
3: We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo, the way people buy, has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper. Always Be Closing, A Guide to the New Art of Social Selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new e-book, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network.
2: Welcome to Free Writer Friday, everybody. We're here talking about a whole host of issues, and Ed, I've got a real interesting one for you. By the way, we talk about prediction markets, and we haven't done much with them on the show, but uh, this might be the time to do it. But here's something that's interesting: prediction markets in America go back to the 1820s. Really? Yeah, absolutely fascinating. Um, there, uh, people made public wagers on candidates. And political candidates, and the losers who couldn't pay. And, and you've heard about this in jokes or whatever. They were subject to public humiliation. So they'd have to roll peanuts up and down the streets with their nose or with toothpicks. Some would have to <laughs> throw, right? Okay. Um, 11 out of 12 elections were predicted accurately by the prediction markets between 1884 and 1940. Wow. So two economists published a paper on this. And they, they went through the archives of old newspapers, and they, they found that papers published prices every day, five days a week, in the month before the election. Um, and a lot of these uh, were in New York. That was uh, where a lot of these, uh, you know, the bettors uh, flourished in New York. And the death knell to the prediction markets, the betting markets, was the George Gallup poll organization. Wow. Uh, because now, of course, newspapers much rather cite, you know, a quote-unquote random scientific poll than, you know, the sleazy bettors. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, uh, I guess Mayor LaGuardia cracked down. And by the late 1940s, the, the betting markets on elections had kind of vanished. And they didn't come back until 1988 when Jesse Jackson uh, ran for president. And, of course, that's when the Iowa election market was was founded uh University of Iowa and the uh the CFTC which is the commodities um, I'm sorry it's the uh America's commodities commodity futures trading commission the CFTC gave it its authorization so you could place bets on the Iowa election markets and of course these are capped at 500 bucks to prevent you know <laughs> uh online gambling Right, right. But the, uh, the prediction markets, and of course the one that closed uh, a few years ago was in-trade. In-trade nailed uh, the 2008 election, 47 out of 50 states, it predicted accurately, and it got 49 out of 50 accurately in the 2012 election. I believe it yep. was shut down sometime in 2013 or something. Right. It, was, it was out of Ireland. And then, of course, predict it which is uh, sponsored by the Victoria University of Wellington, New Zealand, uh, which has got an $850 wager cap and was authorized by the CFTC is kind of what people are gravitating to now. That and the Iowa election markets are still, are still running. But it was just really interesting to see uh, the history of these things, even though they weren't you know, obviously online, um, they did exist.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean that, that makes sense. I'm, I'm sure. I, I, are there Las Vegas odds too? I mean, I, I would I would imagine there would be. I think on, there are I, elections. Yeah, I think,
2: yep, I think there still are Las Vegas odds. But you know, in, in, even in the uh, uh, the last election with Obama, the 2012, the Irish bookmaker Paddy Power was so confident that they had called it that they paid out 400 thousand pounds two days before the election to people who had done. Wow. Yeah, How, I mean, you talk about, you know, and the prediction markets. I guess uh, what would be a good give us an overview of a prediction market, Ed. What are we talking about here when we talk about a prediction market?
1: Well, yeah, the, the the basics of it are is is it's it's like a bet, but the way that I usually explain it is I say there's you you there's a a piece of paper, a share of stock, if you will on you know Hillary Clinton wins democratic nomination and that piece of paper is worth some dollar amount let's just say a dollar so the question is is if Hillary becomes the nominee you get your dollar if she doesn't you get nothing right yep. so the question then becomes is how much would you pay for that piece of paper today 5 cents 10 cents 90 cents and the whole idea is that that w- it would reach a point of e- equilibrium and if if the the that that piece of paper is trading for eighty seven cents, that the the market would then believe that Hillary Clinton has an eighty seven percent chance of being the nominee for the Democratic Party. Right. Right. So, and there 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 are other ways you can do it. I I think that there's you know ways on that you can predict uh, will will software ship as of a certain date, and there's there's so there's different types, but that's that's really the basics of it. It's a it's a yes or no. Uh, you, you'll you'll get it or you won't. That's like a winner and take all market. It's a winner take right? all, correct. And what what I like about it and why I think that it 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 probably has some you know decent legs to it and 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 accuracy is it's not asking you who would you vote for because that's what the polls do, right? The polls ask who would you vote for. This says who do you think is going to win? Yep. And that's a different question. It's a better question. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So we'll it, have to see because right now what they've got predicted has got uh, Trump and Clinton right as the nominees
2: yep and and on predicted it's it, it's Hillary that they have winning and I believe it's the same on Iowa mm-hmm um, they have they have the Democrats taking the White House In fact didn't predict it even have the Republicans losing the Senate.
1: Yeah, right now I think the well, last I checked, it might have been a couple of days ago it was very slim, but and by by not very much, like fifty one or 52 53 to forty seven
2: cent- or something. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, something like that. They said that the, that the, they have the Republicans losing the Senate. You know that that who knows that that all completely shifts, and that that might have been because of the Scalia thing. You know who knows. So
2: sure, and and you know these prediction markets can be used for you know, corporations like you say, you know, for project management, but also, you know, is our drug going to get approved by the FDA or even Christmas forecasting they're used for, uh, you know, like revenue forecasting. And they're uncannily accurate because, of course, they're tapping into the wisdom of the crowd. And unlike a poll, people are putting their money, you know, kind of where their mouth is. And one of the things that these economists brought up is, you know, maybe the cap should be lifted, you know, $850 or whatever cap. So, you know, the market can take into account people that might have inside information and that can be priced in. Right, right. So yeah, it's, interesting. You know, yeah, let the caps be unlimited, you know, and people can... Now, they, remember when the government tried to set up a terrorism prediction market and people thought this was outrageous because people would be able to trade on inside information or whatever and it might provoke a terrorist attack and all of that, but... um these these things have such an unbelievable track record and they're really kind of underutilized.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, interesting. So, uh, all right, Rob, well, I want to throw one out at you here and we we got to talk for a little bit about this the FBI and Apple. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. The F- FBI and the, and the 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 iPhone that was owned by that actually the the the, the city of San Bernardino because it was his actually it was his his work iPhone that they wanted. And now this is this is the facts as I understand them. So I'm I'm subject to correction here. So the phone was owned by the city of San Bernardino and and the this this guy had access to it. And what happened was is, is they, they that Apple did turn over and was able to or well, I'm sorry, the FBI wanted to get the information off the phone, well the first place they went was his iCloud account, right? Yep. And they and somehow or other they were able to successfully reset the password so that they could get access to the iCloud account. Right. The problem was is that the iCloud account, the 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 newest backup was missing like a month or a month and a half's worth of information. So the phone hadn't backed up in a month or a month and a half. Mm,
4: right? Mm-hmm.
1: But because they forced the reset of the password on iCloud, it got at us out of sync with the phone. Mm-hmm. So now they're left in the position where they can only try ten times on the phone to get the password right. It's just a uh, you know it's the four character, yeah. uh, you know four four numbers. It's not a it's not a you know a, a really deep password where they have let, ca- letters and numbers. And of course, what if you do that more than ten times? It the, the phone is set to effectively self destruct and wipe wipe itself out, right?
2: Right or pause, right? It makes you wait like an hour, so you can't use these.
1: Mm-hmm. Random no, apps. no, 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 no. If you if you try ten times and miss, the phone the phone wipes. Hmm. Okay. And what the and what the what the FBI wants Apple to do is create a special version of the iOS system that would force push to the phone. And allow them to then override the passcode. Yep. Right. So the I guess the be, the closest analogy is is, it, is that what they would they want a master key to a, a, an entire hotel because right now yep. if you get a warrant for a hotel room you you can go into a particular hotel room but they but you can't get a master key and search all hotel rooms. Right. And the way or, or I safe, it, or safe. A manufacturer right, or,
2: safes, they want to be right. able to have the master, you know, crack any combo to any safe.
1: Correct, correct. And I, I don't know. I, I, I and uh, you know, our friend, friend Peter Wolf is thinking that that uh, Apple's losing the PR drive on this. But I, I'm, I'm very much in favor of Apple. I think the world has gone topsy turvy, Ron. It's bizarre. We're now looking for government to create jobs. And for a private company to protect our, our rights, it's I mean it's like well, <laughs> this is the exact opposite of what should be happening.
2: Well, it yeah, it, it is. It's um, it, I, I, what I find fascinating about this is the FBI has admitted that they can't crack an iPhone, and mm. so you know this whole idea of the NSA following us around and looking at all of our texts should you know that should make us happy that they you know, your, your your iPhones are encrypted. I'm not sure about Android, but you, like your text messaging and all, I don't think Apple should should cave on this, Ed. I think uh, because I, 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 this isn't getting into one phone. They're talking about giving them a back door into any phone, and if they use it for this phone, they're going to use it for potentially any phone. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't. It's not the same as a search warrant for a specific hotel room. Right. You know, it's a back door that can open any phone, and. I just don't think Apple should cooperate. Now, I have to tell you that the cynic in me is, is going to say that Apple's going to lose this. The FBI's mm-hmm. going to prevail. The government's going to prevail. They've got, they've got a lot of different ways to influence a company.
1: <laughs> I, I agree, but uh, so, so what's the remedy, though? I mean, what if, what if Apple staunchly refuses? I mean, are they going to put Tim Cook in
2: jail? I, I don't, you know, they, they're talking about this Ritz Act where private mm-hmm. companies have to help uh, the government. Going back to eight, what is it, eighteen something? No, oh, it's
1: crazy. You know, yeah. Criminal.
2: Mm-hmm. It's never been. It's never been invoked, um, and I'm not even sure it applies. I mean, I'm not a legal expert, but I, 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 I gotta believe Apple's got some great lawyers on this that, that thinks it's got a defensible position in court. But I, I just know that the government can make your life miserable in a lot of different ways if they want something
1: so no, it, clearly it can if, if you
2: had to bet you know in a prediction market on the long run look for apple to have to cave on this
1: yeah i, I just I, I i i agree i think they might lose the case but the question is is can they still refuse i mean i can you force somebody to do something they don't want to do i mean what if what if apple goes and says you know what we tried we couldn't do it how, how are you going to know Yep. And, <laughs> right. and
2: apparently the difference between like a four, uh, the iPhone four and five and five S and six and, you know, they, it, the encryption's gotten much better. Right? right. Right. They, they, you, they were able to get into a four, but they can't get into a five or a six the way I, the way I understand it. Yeah, I think that's and, correct. And it's also a myth, Ed, that Apple's ever helped the government crack a phone. There's a report out there that they've done this with a dozen, or I've even seen 70. That's false. They have never, ever helped the FBI crack into a phone, ever. Mm-hmm. They've mm-hmm. never done it. They've stood their ground. And, and I hope they continue to. It's yeah. going to be tough, though. It's going to be tough. They're going to get hauled in. They're going to get hauled around. In court, and they're gonna they're gonna drop some money, but I I think the PR is gonna be quite good for them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. No. Nope. I, I i hope so because right now the pr seems to be working the other way it seems to be the the tide seems to be against apple right now but but i hope i hope it turns because i think they're doing the right thing all right well we're we're up against our our last break folks i want to remind you that you can email us at ask tsoe at varisage.com also hashtag ask tsoe during the show and we do monitor that on twitter Please take a look at The Soul of Enterprise. That's our website where you can find past show notes as well as listen to the shows and previews for upcoming shows. But right now we want to hear from my employer, Sage.
0: Follow us on Twitter at voiceamericatrn. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's voiceamericatrn. Four new employees, a 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today.
3: Have you ever read a book that changed your life?
1: We are free-riding here on Friday at the Soul of Enterprise, and one thing that we also do want to announce is that Ron and I will be speaking at the Professional Pricing Society's conference on May 3rd and 4th, 2016 in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, if you are interested in that event, please visit pricingsociety.com and look for the conference, and we'll be talking about this more in, with up at upcoming shows and perhaps give a preview as to what we're talking about, but we'd love to see some of you there. So it's Chicago, Illinois. Ah, uh, Professional Pricing Society. Ron, I got one more free rider thing that I want to uh, mention right. to you, and I think you're going to really like this one. You know my fascination for all things driverless cars, right? Yes. All right. Well, this one takes me two levels deep because I saw an article that. We talked about you know Ted the the, the big TED conference uh, was a couple of weeks ago and this this uh, this author was there and he said this is twelve things that he learned at TED. One of them was about this guy who I had not heard of but apparently fairly famous. His name is um, George Hotz, H O T Z. Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. and he is a a, a self made hacker. He's actually one of the first people to hack an iPhone ever. Also hacked an iPhone. Uh, and not an Xbox, I forget one of them, one of PlayStation, right? Right. right. Well, he, he, he's using a, a computer and software that is called deep learning. And get this instead of, instead of uh, teaching a car how to drive by teaching it all of the rules of the road, right? He, he's gone out and using this software, he says, okay, computer, I want you to learn by watching me drive. Wow. And, and, and basically, in about, uh, I think it's t- 10 hours of observation, this software has picked up how to drive to the point where it's like 99% accurate. Wow right so now the thing is is what he is trying to do is is get get a kit that would allow you to hack in effectively to your car and the computer system in your car in fact one of the things that he says in this video on bloomberg is yeah i don't know anything about cars but i know computers <laughs> right so he basically hacked into it and he he says with about you know uh, six sensors that you can buy for thirteen bucks, um, he's going to put a kit together that he hopes to price around a thousand dollars that will turn just about every car into a ninety plus percent self driving car. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's
2: fascinating.
1: Yep, and I just love the way that, that it's that, it, it, that uh, he's gone about this, right? And I think it's brilliant. And and, and in, on top of that, and there's a video of this that we'll post up on the show notes, but the the guy, the the author of the article said and it it drives like like this guy George Holtz Hotz does because it do, it doesn't just stay in the middle of the lane and you know, that's one of the things you hear about the driverless cars is it, you know, follows every everything to right, the every letter of the rule. law. Yep. Right. This actually kind of drives like a person does because the way that they went about doing it is, no, 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 this isn't what the rules are, this is how you drive.
2: Right. It's mimicking him. Uh-huh. So it's going to do a California stop and all of that.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I guess that's why the, the Google driverless car has been mm-hmm. rear-ended because it comes to a full, complete stop. Who does that? That's
1: right. Because it follows the rules of the road that you program in.
2: That is, that's a trip I look forward to seeing that video. That's really cool.
1: <laughs> yep, yep. So neat stuff. All right, take us out. What do you got? You got a couple more minutes, so.
2: All right, uh, this is pretty cool. The, uh, the Chinese ad have a new slogan, supply-side reforms.
1: Supply-side reforms. All right, tell me more.
2: Yeah, this is now the Chinese's hottest, China's hottest economic catchphrase. It's even featured, it, get this, in a state-approved rap song that they released <laughs> on December 26th. One, one of the lines is, reform the supply side and upgrade the economy. So they're borrowing a Ronald Reagan concept. Wow. <laughs> There's a new institute called the China Academy of New Supply Side Economics and um they're looking at you know deep structural changes and putting the economy on a sound footing rather than the government stimulus that it's traditionally been and they uh they think supply side is is the way to do it which is just fascinating to me you know and also looking at simplifying regulations making it easier for private companies to invest uh, in, in various sectors, you know, where bloated state corporations previously have dominated. Uh, so it, it it it's kind of following the, the Ronald Reagan supply-side strategy of 1980, you know. Curb regulation, cut marginal tax rates and uh, sound money, you know, stop worrying about trying to pump up demand and look on the supply side.
1: Wow. Well, I mean... In a way, it sort of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, we, we've always kind of joked that there's you know a couple things that Karl Marx got right. One of them is that he wanted to control the means of production, which right. is effectively the supply side, right? I mean, yeah, you know, yeah Didn't want to yeah, control the demand of production. Yeah, he
2: didn't <laughs> want to expropriate the demand of product, Demand. You <laughs> wanted to go after the supply. Yeah. Oh, absolutely.
1: So, I mean that that that's in a in a way makes sense. But I, uh, well, you know, I still remain skeptical that the whole China thing and uh, how, how, do, how does one say, okay, you must be creative now, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's really the, 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 but through some kind of direction or they just, is, is this just their way of, of, you know, backhanded way encouraging entrepreneurial activity? I, you know,
2: some, some and
1: there's critics of this,
2: you know, saying, oh, it's a slogan in search of content and, and, you know, meaningful policy and all of that. But yeah, I think they are trying to look at uh, encouraging entrepreneurship, more risk-taking, uh, more innovation and all of that. You know, China is, is just fascinating to me because it is this, this weird blend. It's a successful economy in a lot of ways, and yet it's got this political communist dictatorship, you know, leading on the political side. So, yeah, you have economic freedom, but you don't have the political freedom. And I just think if it ever unleashes, it's going to be a force to be
1: reckoned with. Oh, clearly, I mean, that's. In fact, I was just listening to a, a podcast that w- was about the property rights, and I, one of the things I did not realize is, you know, China. They had there's two, actually two levels of property ownership in China. The first is full, fully state controlled. But then mm. there's what's called community controlled. Mm. There's still not individual ownership of right. of even land, right, or a building. And the evidence that this guy pointed out was is like when there was was an earthquake in Taiwan, you know, that there was all these lawsuits against this against this builder who had used, I mean, literally, aluminum cans as the fill in his cement, right? And it, and you know, that's they were, they discovered this after the building fell down that that's what he was using as the fill, right? Um, but then when the, when the earthquakes happened in China. That you can't you can't sue the 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 building owner because the, the building owner is the state or is, is the, the community, yeah right,
2: yep. And, and and I remember at the Olympics, you know, when they built that, what was it, the Butterfly Stadium or whatever they called it, you know, the, for the yeah, Olympics, nest, the Bird's Nest, yeah, the Bird's Nest. Um, the, the, when I was there, we were driving and the 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 driver was pointing out these these, uh, you know the roads that they built for the olympics and and all this development they did and he said, you know, they removed uh, apartment complexes and I said, well what did what, what, you know, did they pay the people? And he said, oh, no, they just told them to to evacuate. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so there's no eminent domain, you know. There's, right. There's no right. The
1: amendment. <laughs>
2: the government wants it, that's it.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. pretty interesting stuff. Well, I don't know. We'll have to see. Hey, you know, one more announcement that I want to quick make, Ron, before we close is that, that we're going to be doing a thing with the Strategic Leadership Association in October. We're going to be able to do a, a, a post-professional society workshop. So more on that to come in future shows. So stay stay listening. Stay tuned for details. on awesome. All right.
2: Well, Ed, what's next week?
1: Well, next week we're going to try something new, Ron. We're going to talk about one of our mentors, and that is the, uh, Milton Friedman. And we're going to do a profile of Milton Friedman. So our uh, hardcore listeners out there who, who love uh, economics, and all things economics, are going to, I think, be pleased with that show.
2: Excellent. I look forward to it. I'll see you in 167 hours.
1: This has been the soul of enterprise business in the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.